Welcome back to another edition of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP number 102. I'm Dorian, and on today's podcast, we wonder what happened to the big spending Boston Red Sox. And special guest, Jamie Tutko, Director of Video and Scouting for the LSU Tigers College Baseball Program, joins us to talk about college baseball. And first, as always, the most important thing we ever do on this podcast is not talk about baseball, not make jokes, but drink beer. And this week, I'm having good local American beer that supports good American jobs. Like, what is this, like a 1980s political ad? This beer is called Winnie Bay Spot Tail Ale. It's a red ale, an American amber, from Winnie Bay Brewing Company in Georgetown, South Carolina. Those of you who haven't been to Georgetown, South Carolina, it's a small, historic colonial town. It's it's genuinely smack in between Myrtle Beach and Charlestown. And you know what the cool thing about Georgetown, South Carolina is? Besides that they have this Winnie Bay Brewing Company, they even have a cat cafe. It's called the Purr and Poor Cat Cafe. <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. Of all the cat, 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 all the cat cafes that I've been to, this cat cafe serves coffee, wine, beer, refreshments. Does anyone even use the word refreshments anymore? I don't know. It doesn't matter. And this beer made me think of the Charleston River Dogs, which, are, which is the single-A team of the Tampa Bay Rays. And speaking of the Rays, there's a former Ray, High and Bloom, and I feel bad for this guy because he was sold a bag of lemons. He was the senior vice president of baseball operations for the Tampa Bay Rays. And he goes from the cheapo Rays to the cheapo Boston Red Sox. Imagine, seriously, you get your dream job and then they're downsizing. Layoffs are happening right now. Thousands of people are losing their jobs at Goldman Sachs, at Microsoft, at Alphabet, at Spotify. Amazon is laying people off. If I already mentioned them, I have no idea. Hold on, I'm going to have a drink. You're like, my dream job is to be an astronaut. And then NASA's budget cut. Oh, by the way, guys, we're not going to the moon anymore. We're never going to Mars. And you're like, I literally spent my whole life becoming an astronaut for 20 years. I've, I took calculus, physics. I mountain biked. I did all the physical and intellectual things. And now you're telling me we can't go to the moon. We're just going to be rotating around the earth with those freaking Russians up in the, the international space station. Imagine your dream job being X or Y or Z. And everything just gets pulled out from under you. That's what happened to High and Bloom. He goes from the cheapo race, and you're going to the one of the marquee baseball organizations, the Boston Red Sox. The big spending Boston Red Sox, by the way. The Boston Red Sox who have won, what, like four World Series in this century. And then it's like, well, we're going to have to do more with less. So High and Bloom becomes the chief baseball officer of the Boston Red Sox in 2020. What's, what does he have to do? Forced to trade one of the best players in baseball, Moogie Betts. And what does he get in return? Alex Verdugo, Connor Wong, and Jeter Downs. Wong has played 33 games in the past two seasons. Jeter Downs, cut by the Boston Red Sox, and now he's in the Washington Nationals minor league system. Meanwhile, Mookie Betts went to, he won a gold glove. He won the World Series. He's been voted to the All-MLB team a bunch of times. Slow clap for that tremendous trade. Not High and Bloom's fault, believe me. And then he's forced to let shortstop Xander Bogarts go as a free agent. 
I mean, you're getting, this is a dream job and you're getting nothing. And I mean nothing but headaches in return. Bogarts goes and signs an 11-year contract, $280 million with the San Diego Padres. Why are the Boston Red Sox rebuilding? Why are, no, forget about rebuilding. Why are they just being a bunch of cheapos? It, it blows my mind. And, you're, and you may be saying like, whoa, whoa, hey, Dorian, they're not cheapos. They just signed third baseman Rafael Devar, Devers to an 11-year, $331 million, million contract. I say that they were forced to do that by the fans because they're like, dude, we're the Boston Red Sox. We aren't the Tampa Bay Rays. We aren't the Minnesota Twins. We aren't the Kansas City Royals. We're the freaking Boston Red Sox. And so you're getting rid of all these really good players. Those World Series years are well behind them. I, I'm flabbergasted. I'm not even a Red Sox fan, but I'm just flabbergasted at the way John Henry and the Fenway group is handling the, the, the Boston Red Sox. And you're like, well, we have some, we have, we have some young players, we have some international players. You signed 2023. We can, we can mix it up. No, no, you can't. There's nothing to look forward to as a Boston Red Sox in 2023. As a Boston Red Sox fan, do you really trust that Red Sox starting pitching? You better be burning sage, paying a dollar at your local church, and lighting a candle to make sure that Chris Sale stays healthy for longer than I don't know, 12 days. Chris Sale reminds me of a of a former English soccer football player by the name of Jamie Redknapp. He played back in the, the 1990s. And Jamie Redknapp's nickname was Sick Note because he was never available. He always had a sick note from the doctor because he was always injured. That's Chris Sale. Chris Sale is the American baseball version of Jamie Redknapp. If you think that Chris Sale is gonna is gonna pitch more than twelve games in twenty twenty three, I say good luck to you. You've been drinking too much, and then you're hoping that a thirty seven year old Corey Kluber stays healthy and gives you one hundred and fifty innings in twenty twenty three. You know that Corey Kluber has pitched one hundred fifty innings once since twenty eighteen. That was five in the past five years. He's pitched one hundred and fifty games, one hundred fifty innings once. Your shortstop, Trevor, Trevor Story, he's saying that he can come, he's going to come back this year. We'll see. He's probably out until, God knows, September maybe. And by that time, Boston Red Sox aren't going to be fighting for some wild card spot. What about bringing over championship caliber pedigree for the clubhouse, a great clubhouse guy, like designated hitter, 38-year-old Justin Turner. Turner just basically replaces 35-year-old designated hitter J.D. Martinez. <laughs> No, Turner's OPS plus for the past two years was a, a 120 OPS plus in 2021, 116 OPS plus in 2022. What do you think his, his OPS plus is going to be in 2023? I say it's going to be below 100. But you're like, wait a minute, I want I want to keep drinking and be enthusiastic about this Boston Red Sox team that unfortunately High M Bloom cannot spend money on. What about rookies? What about the first baseman Tristan Casas or? The Japanese international signing, the outfielder, Masataka Yoshida. I don't know. They're both rookies. They're both rookies. And I blame solely High and Bloom's bosses for this fiasco. This is the Boston Red Sox. This team finished 1, 2, 3, 4, 5th place in the American League East Division. The Boston Red Sox should not be finishing below 2nd place in the American League East Division. This is insane. The chairman of the Fenway Sports Group that owns Liverpool, that owns the Pittsburgh Penguins, that owns Liverpool, Liverpool did I say that? Liverpool, Boston Red Sox, Pittsburgh Penguins, etc. Tom Werner, Tom Werner said in January, just a few weeks ago, quote, 
There are absolutely no plans to sell. We have a desire to win many more World Series here. As long as we're healthy, we're going to be hopefully improving the stewardship of the Red Sox. We've got a lot of plans about how to strengthen the minor league system, end quote. And that, my friend, is the exact sentence you don't want to hear. We're going, we've got plans to strengthen through the minor league system. So that means you're trying to replicate the Tampa Bay Rays, the Tampa, yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays formula of let's bring in guys, let's trade youngsters, let's draft right, let's develop them. This is the Boston Red Sox. You should be, you have enough resources to do both to draft well, develop well, and sign big ticket free agents. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I feel so bad for Hyam Bloom. He moves to a much colder city from a wonderful Tampa, which by the way, Tampa has the, the west coast of Florida. I've said this before. The best beaches in the continental US. You go, you make more money in Boston. It's colder. You have a legendary baseball organization like the Boston Red Sox. And then Hyam Bloom says, oh my God, this is the same cheapo tendencies that I left back at Tropicana Field. The more things change, right? I feel bad. You know what? Cheers, Mr. Bloom. Cheers to Hyam Bloom and your family having to go through this absolute nonsense. Hyam Bloom is one of the best executives in baseball, and he is being handcuffed. Imagine that you have, I don't know, Usain Bolt, and you're like, well, Usain, uh, you're going to have to walk. You're going to have to run with both your arms up in the air. You can't be actually using them. It's like, dude, like you're taking away my speed. But that was a bad analogy. Nevertheless, I don't know how high and Bloom feels, but I do know that this beer is going to be, that the picture of this beer is going to be on Instagram and Twitter. And it's almost spring training, by the way. Spring training is, is what, like a month away? Less than a month away, actually. And what happens with these baseball players in spring training? Spring training? What happens with college baseball players as they're getting their training for their season? Everyone gets into the best shape of your life. He's in the best shape of his life. And that's where our show sponsor comes in this week. Pacific West Health and Tennis Club. I think one of the benefits of exercising is the mental stimulation you get. You always feel better about yourself because you know that you look better. At least you're trying to. The way it feels, the way you hold yourself, and when you feel good about yourself, and when you're toned, you hold yourself completely different. You're much taller and you're much more confident. You set your mind to something, you do whatever you want. Join Pacific West Health and Tennis Club now for just $24 for 24 months. You know what? I think I'm going to get the best shape of my life and I'm going to take advantage of that amazing offer by the Pacific West Health people after I finish my beer. Of course. You know, earlier we talked about the Charleston River Dogs and their parent club, the Tampa Bay Rays. Our next guest is originally from the Tampa Bay area and currently with the number one ranked college baseball team in America, 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 America. This week, our guest is Jamie Tutko, who's the director of video and scouting for the LSU Tigers college baseball program. Jamie, welcome to HBP. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And I do want to add that we're not, we don't just have, you just, you aren't just the director for the LSU Tigers. You're the, you're the, you're the director of the number one ranked LSU Tigers. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. It's all preseason. So it, you know, doesn't necessarily mean anything, but uh, no, we're, we're extremely happy and, and humbled to, uh, you know, to, to go into the season as a number one ranked team in, in the country. Absolutely. And you know, I realize that you, you now as the director of video and scouting, you're promoted to that position for, with, with the Tigers back in the pandemic season of 2020. And so 
How was that? Because I'm thinking everyone in 2020 was living on video. Were you the czar of college of uh, the Tigers College of Baseball program in 2020? How did how did you guys make that work? Yeah, I mean, it was extremely tough, uh, you know, just as it was for everybody else during those times in COVID, right? But um, especially here, in, in, when you talk about the landscape of college baseball, I mean, our it, it cut our season in the middle of, of of us playing. We were about 18 or 19 games into the season in 2020, and I mean, we we I remember vividly we were playing a game at home in a midweek against uh, against Southern Alabama, and we were planning to leave the next day to go on the road to Ole Miss to play a big weekend series in the SEC. And we got to the field the next day, and and literally within a matter of to, to quicken the story, within a matter of 24 hours, our, our season went from playing a game to complete being completely done. Um, so in terms of like the video, right? It took it took a couple of months for us to to really find out what what was the plan, what were we doing. Uh, moving forward and then from then the landscape of, of video has really blown up and changed in terms of of college recruiting you know it, it was tough to get out right the the you know we couldn't get out and, and go recruit kids and so using the the tools like we have synergy and true media which they use in the big leagues now they have that in college but having the ability to watch a lot of the uh, bigger am- the the younger amateur tournaments i mean high school tournaments uh, on video was was crucial for us in terms of the the recruiting process for about that that year almost a year and a half. I I always find it fascinating this scouting because in in the political world you would do like an advanced team or a research team on the the opponent the uh, other party. And a question I have for you is in your purview as a director of video and scouting, does that mean that you guys are scouting the opposition like Ole Miss, Florida, or, you know, the, the big, the, the, your, your competition, or are you, are you using the video and all that technology to scout potential future LSU Tigers? Or are you doing uh, the, both would be the answer, okay. right? Um, yeah, both. But a majority of what we're doing right now with, with a lot of our videos getting in a majority of what my job is, um, on a, on a day-to-day basis it, during the season, at least it is, is preparation for our upcoming opponents, writing scouting reports, um, going, you know, obviously going, going through all of the data. Now that you talk about the sec and, and big time power five college baseball, you know, there's, there's, well, first of all, there's a lot of money that runs through, through the power five college baseball now. And, and with that comes uh, bigger stadiums, but also comes more tools at our advantage. Uh, we're allowed to have a lot of the player development type tools, and uh, there's a lot of uh, there, there's some sharing networks within uh, Power Five College, so we're able to get other teams' data just like similarly you would in the big leagues. Um, you know, data is not data is you know the the Miami Marlins get you know their 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 Hawkeye data or Statcast data, right? That every every team in the in in the big leagues gets that data. It's very similar here in, in at least the SEC and, and most of the Power Five. When a game's being played at another stadium, we we typically get all of that data. So compiling all that on top of the video has really uh, upped our ability to do a lot of scouting um, and, and not only, you know, scouting for opponents, but it, it allows us to, to reevaluate and do some self-scouting stuff too. So, but yeah, it, it, it's it, the majority of, of kind of what I do again during the season is, is more geared towards preparing for Florida or Ole Miss or Mississippi state. So, and I enjoy the heck out of it. It's, it's a lot of, it's ever changing at this level of college baseball. The, the landscape is, is changing. You feel like daily. I can imagine you. You mentioned the Miami Marlins, and those of us, to those of us listeners, don't know. Jamie, you also have experience at. Again, people don't know the college baseball. LSU is right at the top tier because you guys play in the SEC, which is 
basically, you guys are basically a minor league, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, cool. I don't know, organization. And you, Jamie, personally, you have experience in the minor leagues. You've worked with the Miami in the Miami Marlins organization, minor league organization, as well as the Cincinnati Reds minor league organization. What and by the way, I do remember. Uh, I'm a I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan, and I remember Tom Glavin. His you may know, but his son played at University of North Carolina at, at, over at the ACC. And he got drafted, I think, a year or two ago by the Nationals. And Clavin was saying this in some interviews. He was like, I told my son that a lot of the facilities you're enjoying in the like ACC, SEC world, there's going to be minor league facilities <laughs> that are nowhere near as nice as the facility, facilities you guys work with. So I can imagine what you guys have set up. But my long-winded question is, are there differences and similar or similarities of when you're doing scouting at the minor league professional level and doing it for uh, at the absolute top tier college baseball scouting level? And what tools do you guys use and what tools are are used in either uh, in either practice? Yeah, so I would say the, the, the first of all, the biggest tool right now would be would be TrackMan, which is a ball tracking data, very similar to, to Hawkeye in the big leagues. And um, but. When it comes to, to the differences, major differences, I guess, between scouting in, in, in the minor leagues and scouting uh, here at LSU or in the SEC is, you know, when you're in the minor leagues, it, it's, it's not necessarily geared towards scouting your opponent and getting prepared for opponent. Um, you know, obviously winning games at the minor league level is not as important as player development is at the minor league level. So you want to have those, those scouting tools essentially to, to obviously be prepared, right? I, I want, if I'm going up to the plate and I'm, I'm, I'm in rookie ball, I want to know if a guy's throwing a hundred with a wipeout slider, you know, or if it's a, a, a guy that's going to pitch backwards to me. Like I want to know those little things obviously. Right. But it's more geared towards uh, again, pl the player development side, which, you know, here in, in, in L L LSU and, and in the sec, I mean, winning every single game is so important. You only play 56 of them and it, it is literally a matter of, of one game here or there, which could get you into the tournament or could get you to host the regional and, the, the games are just, they're magnified. And, you know, we, we have like a, a kind of a, a saying in, in our program here where it was really Coach Jay Johnson has kind of come up with this, this little analogy, I guess. You know, with 56 games being played here, one game in, in college baseball, it, it feels like a series in the major leagues, right? It feels like a three-game set. So if you lose a game, it almost feels like you just got swept in a three-game set. Uh, and vice, vice versa, if you win a game, especially in league play, but so, so scouting again from from this side at this level is is all geared towards being prepared to win on the field, and that is literally any advantage that you possibly can. Whereas again in the minor leagues, it's more geared towards the player development side and, and developing those players to get to the big leagues, and then you really start to to, to dive more and obviously into the scouting reports, and that's where winning is, is as important as anything. Yeah. And you, again, you, you uh, having worked in my, having extensive experience in the in my leagues, two different organization, and now with a again top tier uh, college baseball program. What guided you to go from the minor leagues to a top tier college baseball uh, program, and what's that experience been like? It's been phenomenal. I mean, selfishly, it's been phenomenal for me and my family. I've I've now married. I have two kids with with. Uh, you know, a dog, we've made my wife bought a house. We've, we've made Baton Rouge, Louisiana home. So it's, it's, it's great from that sense in terms of like being able to put my, my, my roots down, um, you know, in, in, in the minor leagues, it was tough. I mean, we, you were traveling a lot, you were going all over the place and the jobs weren't as, you know, secure. Not that my job is any more secure because if we don't win, I mean, it's, it's just as, as much as, as anybody else, right. Where 
you have to win uh, in order to keep the job. But it, it, it's more of like I'm able to come home every single day now, which is great, again, from the selfish side of it. But it, it was – I enjoyed the heck out of working in professional baseball. I met people that I, I will, I'm still in contact with and people that have helped me along the way and continue to help me um, in, in my career – um, but again, the biggest difference is, is just the, the winning factor and, and having a, a true impact. And, you know, I, I love the coaching side of things and, and I consider myself as a part of the coaching staff here with everything, what my job responsibilities are without actually being titled a, a, a coach. But here at this level, I, I feel like it could really have an impact on these kids lives on and off the field. And obviously winning is everything here where you want to win at LSU being the number one team in the country this year. I mean, everybody's, we had a target on our back, so. You know, we want to win as many games as we can, but again, I feel like I can have a true impact on, on these kids' lives. And that's what, you know, interests me the most. And, and I still get to be around the game I love. And, and luckily I'm, I'm uh, in my career, I've, I'm, I've never worked in anything other than baseball. So hopefully we can continue that um, moving forward. So I'm, I'm extremely fortunate and humbled to, to call this game my life, you know, and, and I love it. You also have a lot of experience in the Louisiana region as well, because like I mentioned, when you were part of the Marlins organization, you were, I guess, working in New Orleans. But a question I always have about uh, people who work in college baseball like yourself is I know there is travel in at the minor league level and obviously major league level. But in college baseball, you guys are also traveling a lot. Do you travel with a team or is it or, or you were saying you're able to go home every night? Are you? Oh, oh yeah. No, no, no. Okay. I'm, I'm as part of the coaching staff as anybody. I'm, I'm right there in the dugout next to our head coach, uh, every single game. Um, so no, it, it is traveling. It's, it's, it's a little different travel. You know, we, we have the luxuries of, of being able to fly a lot of places, uh, here at LSU. And, and, you know, for example, I, I worked in, I worked in with the Cincinnati Reds. I, I worked in Billings, Montana. So the, the closest, uh, team in the pioneer league at the time was about four and a half hours away. So, you'd come home and you'd play three or four games in a row and then you'd go back on the road. And, and so it was like, it felt like three or four times a week, you're getting on a bus for, for four plus hours between four to eight hours. So the travel was, was way more of a grind um, as it was uh, than, than it is here. You know, we, we play weekend series and, you know, we will typically fly out on a Thursday, play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and post game Sunday, you're flying back home. And, you know, the, the, the boys are able to go to class again on Monday. So it's a different travel. It is still a lot of travel. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but but it's it's a little bit different. Obviously, doing uh, video and scouting, you're using a lot of tech, uh, technology. And again, being at a power power college baseball program, I'm sure you guys are the cutting edge of that technology. My question that I'm trying to still formulate in my mind is not what do you want to know? It's what what is something that you were watching on video when you're when you're um, scouting Vanderbilt and Florida and whatever, what is something you would be, you would want to be able to put a metric on that is like, what's the next breakthrough that in your mind, you're like, I wish we we would be able to measure X or measure Y when it comes to scouting an opponent. Well, I, you know, I, I, it's hard to say this, but maybe ask me that tomorrow. Cause I feel like the landscape of college baseball is literally changing day to day. Um, you know, again, be, going back to the track man stuff with the ball tracking units that, that are put in pretty much every stadium now, especially in the power five, you know, having that ability to, to, to not only watch the video because, because most games now are televised either on, on watch ESPN or even on ESPN, SEC network, ACC network, they do a phenomenal job of broadcasting all these games and, you know, being able to watch the games uh, obviously is, is a huge, huge asset to us, but being able to link the track man data from that game 
to the video has been light years different for, for us, right? Because, you know, when you come to, when it comes to college, you, you watch a game on TV and, and they're, they might have the radar gun on the TV, but you don't really know how, if that's accurate or not in the big leagues, I, I would tend to think that it's a little bit more accurate on the broadcast feeds here at college baseball. It, it, you don't never know what you're going to get. So, you know, you could be watching a guy and, and not know much about it. And, and, you know, the, the, velocity readings will show 88 to 90 and then you look at the trackman report and whoa no he was actually 92 to 95 the entire game so you know little things like that being able to just solidify and and, and check off like okay this is what we see um it it, it, it all goes down to like again the videos is, is always is going to be f- phenomenal and you're always going to be able to use it but again the next biggest thing i think would be just continuing to tweak and make sure that all of the the other data is accurate and, and we're getting to that point now. If you would, if we would have had this conversation four years ago, I would have said that was the biggest issue right now with college baseball and having all these data. Is like, you don't know how accurate it is. Now, the the ball tracking unit trackman has done a great job of, of cleaning a lot of stuff up. The video programs have done a lot of jo- a great job of cleaning a lot of stuff up. So you feel more more comfortable that it's accurate. Um, but again, I, I think that the landscape of, of college baseball at this level is so ever changing that I, I literally feel like I, I might have a totally different answer for you if we had this conversation a week from today, which is crazy to me. I mean, just yeah. if I, if I go back four years and I think about four years ago, where we were at and where we're at today, it's not even close to being the same type of game. And speaking of college baseball being constantly this, uh, this liquid, obviously that's just changing shape and, and, and force Jamie, you yourself played college baseball. Let's go back in time. So you were the captain of St. Leo, where you went to school, and you go back in time. What would you, like, Oh, it was like almost back to the future. You would overwhelm young Jamie with the technology of whoever you were playing that particular weekend. What what would be one thing you would take back to your old St. Leo teams of being like, look, we have this, almost this, this technology years from now. What would that be? How would that be? Because obviously St. Leo and LSU are on also different levels. Yeah, well, for me personally, yeah, I, I, I pitched and I definitely would not have thrown my fastball as much as I did when I was in college. I knew I didn't throw very hard and, and you know, I just it wasn't it wasn't my best pitch. But now you're starting to see it in, in the big leagues, right, that the, the fastball is, is being thrown less than 50 percent of the time. It was the first year, I think, uh, ever that it, as a whole in the major leagues, the fastball was thrown a lot less. Well, that's absolutely what I would have done. I would have thrown the fastball a lot less and, and, and used a lot of my other, other off-speed stuff. But, you know, as, as a whole, I think that just little things that, that we could have, you could have tweaked if I would have known all that stuff back then and little, little things in terms of like, does a guy have carry on his fastball? And if he does have carry on his fastball, we're going to pitch him a little bit differently, right? You could see some of that with your eyes, but some of it, you know, you need the numbers to really solidify some stuff, you know, does this guy have true power sync, on a chain on, on I mean on a, on a fastball or does this change up really have depth or is it more horizontal and little things like that that you can kind of somewhat see but the numbers really help you um and and, and formulate a plan of attack I think that's kind of how how I would have used it uh if I would have had it 10 years 15 years ago that's a good point I'm going to throw you a curveball something you weren't able to scout prior to this conversation I we've we've just created a new position the czar of college baseball 
and Jamie Tutko, you've been appointed the czar of college baseball. <laughs> what would be would be a couple of things you would do to change the landscape of college baseball, how it's played, who shows up? I mean, anything you want in your experience as a college baseball player, as a pro- professional in the, mi- in, the, in the minor leagues and now back at LSU. Well, if I'm the czar of college baseball, first thing that I'm going to do is is raise the scholarship numbers up. That's for darn sure. Eleven point seven scholarship. That's it's. it's, it's I am following up on that. Go on. Yes, it's 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 just absolutely r- ridiculous. So that's that's yeah, that's that's another topic. But another the, honestly, my number two would be what the NCAA just did, uh, what they just passed about two weeks ago, which was the uh, appointing another fourth paid assistant coach. I mean, we've had this volunteer position in college baseball for years now where this volunteer position does not get paid through the university does not have the insurances, none of that, but still works a 60 to 80 hour a work week. Like we all do. And they just get paid through the camps that we run. Um, but that would have been my next biggest thing um, was, was adding that. And, and, you know, the NCAA did that, like I said, just a couple of weeks ago, and that'll go into effect in uh, July 1st, I believe. So really excited for, for our volunteer who's been with coach Jay Johnson for, a while now and and he followed him from Nevada to Arizona, Arizona to LSU. And so I really, really excited for, for him to, um, you know, to, to hopefully get that position and then, and, and, you know, not have to do the volunteer tag anymore. Man, I, w- I actually was debating whether to ask you about the college baseball scholarship thing. I was like, man, that seems way too amateurish to be asking Jamie Tutko, but I'm glad you brought it up. Why is, why, why is that? Because for example, in college football or college basketball, you have these big, pocketed donors that give money and there are, and then you're able to pay your coaches, obviously those insane salaries. But why is it that we're able to fund 50, 60 scholarships in the college, college football or 15 scholarship, 12, well, 14 scholarship, whatever for college baseball, but basketball, but is it the lack of funding from the university? Is it the lack of big pocketed donors? Why are there such restricted scholarships for college baseball? And it's been this way for decades. I don't even know when it, if it's ever changed, it, it has been this way forever. And, and you're going to, you put me on the spot a little bit. There's a, there was a reason and there was a certain um, that the NCAA points to a reason of why, whenever they made that decision of 11.7, um, I can't remember exactly what the reason was, but, but when it comes down to it all, I think that, you know, they put out a lot of these uh, you know, the, these questionnaires essentially throughout college baseball and in and, and these programs and, most of the, if not all of the bigger power five schools are 100% in, um, but you were, you're correct when it comes to, when it comes to a funding thing, um, you know, the, when you really look at it, the majority of college baseball division one programs, they lose money. And when it comes, right. when I say majority, I mean, even some power five schools, we're, we here at LSU are lucky enough that we are one of the, one of the probably 10 schools, maybe at the most that, that actually you know, turn a profit and get good funding from the school. We have 10,000 fans a game, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's a big deal here, but when you really look at it as a whole, it is a funding issue. And I totally understand that side of it. When you talk about the mid-major schools, I mean, I'm talking about like the, the ball States or the Kent state or the Samford university, you know, which have really good programs, but they might not necessarily be able to afford giving everybody. So if you're going to give it to, to LSU or to Mississippi state, you're going to give, us 30 scholarships. We got to do that for these other schools too. And I don't think that the athletic directors have actually come together um, really? and, and been able to, yeah, as a whole. So, so it's I, not a, I, I get it, but it's, it's frustrating on our end. So it's not a case like uh, Harry Connick jr. Says I want to give, uh, I want to give endowment to the college, to the Tigers college baseball program to give 
30 scholarships. Would would that happen? What if HBP wants to get wants to do an endowment of uh, college college baseball uh, scholarships? Well, we'll take it, obviously. Um, but, so you're but saying there that are you private could accept schools. It. No, but you as a public school, could you would you would you be able to accept Harry Connick Jr., Aaron Neville, some obviously Louisiana legend saying, I want I want LSU to have 25 baseball scholarships. You I don't would... believe so. I oh. don't believe so. I, I not that I know. I could be completely wrong. Right. There, but I know a, a school like Vanderbilt, me in the SEC, is a private school. Right. They have endowment funds where they can give players, and it would not necessarily be a scholarship through baseball, right? Because they still get eleven point seven, but they're able to give them more money in terms of, um, you know, what, whether it be because of your 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 like ethnic background if you have a little bit of, of this ethnic background well you can you you can get this scholarship whatever it is or if you you're a, if you're a left-handed college student that there's a scholarship for that <laughs> there, if you wanted be. to if you want yes. to major in underwater basket weaving we can give you a scholarship for that oh that's sad because then it then it creates an uncompetitive balance which we know and and this is not anything new obviously if if a great athlete is you know juggling between a college basketball scholarship from like Texas or and then some SEC powerhouse for baseball, you know, you're probably going to go basketball. And we, as, as both, you know, you work in, in baseball and us as fans, we miss out on those athletes and it's. Yeah. Well, the, the, so the NIL landscape uh, in, in college athletics has completely changed a lot of that stuff, especially when it comes to the bigger, bigger programs. I mean, you know, our, our, our guys here at LSU, I mean, you know, they, they come to LSU and they play at LSU and you, the, just the, the fame and the notoriety around the program. I mean, these guys can't even go out to, to eat dinner at a restaurant without somebody wanting to come up and take a picture with them or, or an autograph. So the ability to have local businesses support them through NILs and give them money that way now has changed a lot. And, and so that's really helping on this, that side of the, you know, the scholarship piece and kind of helping some of those families that, you know, you know, are coming out of pocket essentially to, to, to pay for school, you know, it can help relieve some of that stuff. So and and trust me, we're going to take full advantage of of every bit of that uh, at a school like LSU. And you know what? Thankfully, at HBP, we have the czar of college baseball. So we're, you're going to fix that right quick tomorrow. No. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so I'm going to get on it. Another thing I found fascinating about college at, uh, collegiate athletics as a whole is the recruiting process. And I hear LSU has some phenomenal facilities across baseball, basketball, and football. What take me through that recruiting process? Is it do you have to go out on the road and like leave? I remember Howard Schnellenberger, the college football coach in University of Miami. He ha- he would buy like dozens of the the pipes to leave on their so- sofas. Do you are you on the recruiting? Are you on the recruiting trail? Or when recruits come in, you show them all the amazing technology that they will be able to uh, take advantage of to potentially become better players. Yeah, it's the second part, and the reason for that being. Uh... Another crazy, weird rule with the NCAA, they, they only allow three coaches to go out on the road to recruit. So our head coach will go out and recruit, obviously. Our recruiting coordinator will go out and recruit, obviously. And then our third paid assistant is our pitching coach, Wes Johnson. So he's able to go out and recruit. So other than that, there's not anybody else in within the LSU baseball program that is legally allowed to go out and recruit a, an outside event. So we can watch video when, when they play at a showcase and we get the video, by all means. Or we can watch something if, if the event was played at our stadium, we're allowed to watch it, but we are not allowed to go out and, and recruit. So it is more so the, the second half. But, you know, when it comes to the recruiting process here at LSU, you know, the, the NCAA has changed the rule a couple of years ago where you're not allowed to go on an official visit until September 1st of your junior year. So the freshmen and sophomores in high school that end up committing, you know, you'll see it all the time on Twitter that, you know, we, we have kids that commit 
and they don't, they're not actually, they don't, they've never come on campus for a visit. Now you're allowed to do zoom calls and phone calls with them in certain ways. But, um, you know, once, when they get here as, as like an official visit, uh, we use the fall, um, for pretty much everything for, because it's, you know, not in our, our season, but it's also during football season. And we're able to take those recruits, not only through our beautiful facility that we are extremely humbled to have here, but to be able to take them on the sidelines inside Tiger Stadium when there's 105,000 people screaming, calling Baton Rouge, it just gives you, gives you chills. I don't, I don't know how, if I was in college and I, and I experienced that, I would be committing the very next, where do I sign? I'm coming to school here, yes. So we use those type of tools at LSU to, to our advantage. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, yeah, you're right. I, I couldn't imagine that would be the impression of a 17-year-old junior has on that. I mean, number one, you're getting recruited by LSU, the, num- the number one college, you know, preseason team uh, in college baseball. And yeah, like you said, 105,000 people who part of the athletic program. It's amazing. Yeah. And I want to be respectful of your time. And I know that you're, you're originally from Tampa. I, I noticed that there's a water element to you, except when you went to go hang out with the Buffaloes in Montana, but you know, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Tampa. I love Tampa, by the way. I always like to ask our guests of local places that you like to eat doesn't have to be the fanciest place whether it, for your in your case it'd be either tampa or baton rouge what are some places that you feel comfortable like you know what that's my go-to place if i like to get a cup of coffee a diner a restaurant maybe a drink what are uh what what can the, what, what where can people go according to you if they ever visit baton rouge or tampa okay i'm gonna go with both i'll give you i'll give you some for both tampa and baton rouge so for tampa I had this little Cuban restaurant that I think is the best Cuban restaurant. Now, people down in Miami might might not uh, agree with yeah. me, but I think it's the best Cuban restaurant in the state of Florida, hands down. It's called La Terracita. It's over off of Columbus. It's near the, uh, near the Buck Stadium, actually, near okay. the New York Yankees Spring Training yeah, yeah, Stadium, yeah, yeah, right I around exactly the corner from there. Is, yeah. So it's called La Terracita. It's a little Cuban restaurant. When you go in there, you better have a little bit of knowledge of, of Spanish <laughs> because they're, they're not speaking much English right. in there, but the food is unbelievable so i try to go there every time i get get down to tampa to see my parents uh, have you been to speaking of cuban food have you been to west tampa sandwich shop absolutely great yes, sandwich. i love unbelievable yeah, yeah yes phenomenal phenomenal sandwich um but yes so you y- you can't go wrong there either um so yeah that, uh, like i said la tercita is where i, I i'm gonna, I I'm gonna write people. that down and check it out when i go back to tampa you have to you have to um i'm a i'm a, actually a big uh Big craft brewery guy. I love I love different different kind of beers. So when I saw that that was a part of your show, I was like, man, this is awesome. Heck yeah! Speaking my language. So um, yeah, no doubt, man. This so I, there's a there's a there's a place that I went to actually. I was in Tampa a couple months ago um, during during Christmas with my wife, and and we went to uh, this little place near Eulalie, which is the restaurant right there on the water on on the river near downtown. But it was a place called Hidden Springs Ale Works, which is a little local brewery, and they had great beer there. They had a like a cocoa crisp. Uh, uh, dark lager, which was phenomenal. Um, but they, that's, it's a great place. Awesome. Little I'm also going to write that down and go, cause I've been to a lot of the breweries in St. Pete and Clearwater so, and, uh, and Tampa as well. Yeah. Hidden much. Springs, Hidden Springs. You got to do that. Yep. And so, oh, I, yeah. All right. So Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yes. Okay. There's a little place uh, called Estruma Brewery which is, uh, I would say, probably about 15 minutes away from campus, which is just outside of uh, just outside the Baton Rouge city limits. But it's a, it's a farm that they turn into a brewery. But during the week, they, have, they, they do food there, too. It's phenomenal. And so they have um, 
they do like like petting zoo almost like kids nights sometimes so they have these little goats running around while you're you're going to get in your craft beer and they got little pizza and they do some like homemade tacos and it's uh it's a really really cool kind of like chill environment and laid back atmosphere um but so my, my wife and i love going there we can take our, our little kids and and it's it's uh have a couple of beers and it's a good spot so a Strumer brewery baton rouge definitely the place to go Speaking of petting zoos, there's actually, I don't know if you've been to this, this brewery in Safety Harbor, Florida, right over the water. Um, it's, all, it's called uh, Crooked Thumbs Brewery, and they have like cats there, and they have an outdoor space where you can take your dog and maybe even your cat, I don't know. Yes, I, I have never been there, but okay. my, my parents, my parents still live in Tampa, and they actually go over to like the Dunedin, Dunedin yeah. area, uh, sometimes on the weekends, just to, you know, just go over there for the day. And I believe my dad has been to that place before, because I, I remember, I vividly remember him telling me about a place like that. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, it's next cool time, spot. next time we're in town, I'm definitely going to have to check that out for sure. It's a cool spot. And I also want to, I, I want to remind listeners that I, I've told people on this show various times about going to see not just major league baseball. I mean, but most of this podcast, I talk about major league baseball, but I like all baseball, whether it's college baseball, minors, I even watch, you know, the, some of the Latin American winter leagues, which are great, but unfortunately it's, it's, it's more anyways, college baseball season is about to kick off on the 17th of February, which is, well, like two weeks away. And yeah, I think if, if you're able to please it, I mean, I don't, I haven't, I only know your schedule that you guys are starting on the 17th. I don't I don't think you guys, uh, yeah, you, you mostly play in the sec, but I'd love to see you guys. Uh, but nevertheless, I encourage everyone to go watch. If, you, if you're not able to watch LSU, go watch all your local college baseball team because it's high quality baseball. And it's, I mean, the prices can't, you can't compare those season ticket prices to even the minor league team. So. Yeah, That's no, you, you're a big proponent. Of yeah, baseball. yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right. And and the quality of baseball is phenomenal. Even even if you talk about like the Division two <laughs> level where I went to school at St. Leo University. I mean, this is some of the guys I played against when I was at St. Leo, I played against J.D. Martinez, who was at uh, at Nova Southeastern. Yeah. They also had Michael Fires, who's in the big leagues. They had Miles Mikolas, who's in the big leagues. I played against Jan Gomes when he was at Barry. So you don't you don't realize that, you know, it's smaller level college baseball, but the talent is, is, is as good as, as it can be really. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a huge college baseball fan, not only here at LSU, but college baseball in general. So if you get a chance to, to go watch some college baseball, please go do it. And, and the, the quality of uh, product will, will probably surprise you if you haven't been to a college baseball game in a long time. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, I want you to take us away. I want to remind everyone. It, uh, I want to thank Jamie Totko, who's the director of video and scouting for the number one ranked LSU Tigers college baseball program. And if you want to take us away, Jamie. Yes. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And again, yes, my name is Jamie Tutko, director of video and scouting for LSU baseball. Go ahead. We have an awesome little Twitter page. It's, it's LSU baseball data. Go ahead and follow it for all of our, our data and analytics. And we post a lot of stuff on there. So, um, but again, I I really do appreciate you having me on here and, and we'll have to do this again soon. I want to thank Jamie Tutko for joining us this week. And I'm also going to thank a couple of new listeners from Monica, not Mon- not with an I, but Monica with an A, Pennsylvania, Lublin, Poland, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and Bolton, England. I do remember there was a football club called Bolton Wanderers. I don't know if they're still around. I'm sure they are, but God knows what division they're in. Anyways, thanks for listening. Let's get together next time for a brand new episode of HBP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Bye.